when I worked in an office, my seltzer habit was problematic. I had to hide it from people. <laughs> Josh, I drink about eight pounds of seltzer water a day. <laughs> That's um, it. But I didn't know that was our That's own us. water. That, of oh, yeah. course. Chewy. Yeah. <laughs> from the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. Personal stories about food and the people behind them. In the spirit of spring and new beginnings, today on Schmaltzy, we're going to mix things up a little bit. A few months ago, the JCC of Manhattan invited us to be part of their inaugural literary festival. The theme was books that changed my life. And as a huge bookworm and former JCC counselor, I was psyched to be part of it. So we invited some of our favorite authors to share a story that evening. Sex Diaries columnist Alyssa Shalasky, New York Magazine art critic Jerry Saltz, and Emmy Award-winning comedian Josh Gondelman. As the guests arrived, they were treated to a unique schmaltzy cocktail, an everything bagel sour, handcrafted by mixologist Pam Wisnitzer. The drink is excellent. I'm loving the drink. First up, we're going to give you a little taste of their stories. Here's Alyssa Shalasky, Jerry Saltz, and Josh Gondelman, live from the Schmaltzy stage. Over by a beautiful old fountain, which basically places you anywhere in Rome, I saw someone who looked like a dependable local. He was a big, commanding guy, ugly sexy, slumped over a dusty silver Vespa, hand-rolling a cigarette. Could I have asked a helpful little nun to draw me a quick, easy map? Sure, but have you met me? I floated straight to ugly sexy. His name was Daniel, and he called me Bella. He was a Roman Jew, which not yet knowing there are quite a few Roman Jews, I found unbelievably fateful. Part of me actually thought God had sent him my way. A divine intervention in the form of a big jerk with a Jewish heart and hopefully a high sperm count. I became a long-distance truck driver. The only Jewish one. My CB handle was the Jewish cowboy. And I would come on my CB and go, ah, Shalom, partner. Would anybody like to talk about the later work of Robert Rauschenberg? The hostess had no idea she'd been sabotaged, set up to fail by someone who we would now call a frenemy, but back then people referred to as a real piece of work, if you know what I mean. <laughs> At the party where the booby trap dessert was served, no one took more than two bites. Some held their napkins to their lips as if they were sharing secrets with them and spat out what they'd bitten off whole. Not Morton Gondelman, though. My grandfather, undeterred by the horrible taste of the food in front of him, dug in hard and fast like he was burying a body in the goddamn woods. The other guests alternated staring and trying not to stare in horror as he cleaned his plate. Then, without flinching, he requested a second helping and devoured that too. <laughs> Now, when you have a sex columnist, art critic, and comedian all on stage together, you never know where the conversation's going to go. Here's Alyssa, Jerry, Josh, and me, live from the Schmaltzy stage. 
So I think we can start off with something pretty easy. What is everyone's go-to favorite Jewish food? Easy. I would do almost anything for a pastrami sandwich. It's okay. kind of basic, where, but where, anything. Okay. Where's your place to get it? I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, so it's a place in my hometown called Clibby's. For here, I like the mile ends. I guess that's smoked meat, but I am willing to spend my $214 for a smoked <laughs> meat sandwich. Respectable. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever had a pastrami sandwich. What? In my, oh, my don't, gosh. No, you don't understand. I was raised by animals, but so were you. <laughs> my Judaism is kind of a distant, non-real thing. We went to temple, but that was it. I never okay. went back. So I'm not sure what a Jewish food is. Do we have any sweets that we like eat? A babka? Yeah. I've had a babka. Okay, okay I love babka. We're okay. on the board. Okay, babka. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love our people's overall dedication to the carbohydrate. I think that's a wonderful thing. Okay. I love a bagel. In New York, we understand the value of a bagel, but I sometimes have to go to Los Angeles for work and they go, oh, you got to hollow out the whole bagel and wear the skin over your face as some kind of poultice. I love a matzo ball soup from the box for Passover. I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. And then I'm wearing my seltzer shirt. When I worked in an office, my seltzer habit was problematic. I had to hide it from people. What's your brand? Polar. Polar. Okay. Polar. That's right. Okay. Polar guy. Dude, kid. Josh, I drink about eight pounds of seltzer water a day. <laughs> That's um, it. Yeah, and it's a dollar twenty-nine for a large. Wow. But I didn't know that was our That's water. That's us. That, of oh yeah. Course. Chewy. Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It makes the experience of water feel a little like punishment. So it is a very cute. <laughs> I don't deserve regular water. <laughs> it's going to hurt a little bit. Came out a little hornier than I meant. <laughs> What's one item that we would be surprised to find in your fridge or cabinets? Well, again, it's going to be embarrassing, but I do believe in telling the truth that once a week or so, I buy already made, I guess it's called balsamic chicken breasts, about 15 of them. Don't laugh. <laughs> you too will be old and weird someday. <laughs> and put those in a, I think they're called Tupperware things. <laughs> and then I have bags of spinach that you can put in a microwave. And I heat the spinach and the chicken, and that's the meal. So I don't know if that's surprising. It's pathetic, but I couldn't be happier. A meal takes four minutes to make, and I'm back at work. My wife is an art critic, the best art critic alive, co-chief art critic for New York Times, Roberta Smith, and she's Quaker, and they can't lie. Try having sex with somebody that can't lie. <laughs> On a long enough timeline, I'm going to come, okay? <laughs> I'm going to find the loopholes. It's going to happen someday. So I have the typical mom stuff for the most part that you would expect, the Trader Joe's cheeses and the yogurts. I like the normal stuff. But my partner is not Jewish, so there are things in my fridge that to me are just psychotic, <laughs> like mayonnaise mm. and white bread. 
<laughs> and triscuits, like waspy food. That to me is very, very foreign. And I know he keeps a little bit of bacon hidden in my freezer, which I find very offensive. So you don't dip into his items? Uh, no, no. Okay. Maybe his. separate fridges is the key to happiness. Yeah, my version of two sets of dishes and two sets of, yeah, the wasps <laughs> and the juice. Yeah. <laughs> Is anything surprising in your cabinets or fridge these days? I would say I'm a pretty transparent portrait. I'm like a visible man of my dietary habits. <laughs> but I think the one slightly surprising thing is that I have more varieties of hot sauce than you'd expect because I come from the kind of white Jews for whom you're like, Ketchup, that's the threshold of my spiciness. Like my dad just had Indian food for the first time at age 71. And we ordered it from the place in my hometown outside Boston for my mom's birthday. And we ordered the mildest spice level. And when you get Indian food in Boston at the mildest spice level, that's Italian. That's chicken tikka Alfredo. So more hot sauce than you'd expect. And you use it all the time? Oh, yeah. Put it on eggs, on sandwiches, and anything. Ketchup. I get ketchup. Huh? Me too. Yeah, I like a ketchup. <laughs> Did your parents eat ketchup with steak extra well done with no, ketchup? No, no, no. They have some good taste. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the spiciness that's too much. Right. So like they'll eat all sorts of things as long as it's not going to like... <gasps> yeah. My dad especially. My mom's a little more adventurous. We'd sneak her burritos. Wow. <laughs> yeah, my Edgy. sister and I. Edgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to use this opportunity because we have three amazing writers on the stage. And we are also at a book festival. So is there a book or text that's especially meaningful to you that you always think about or that is close to you all the time? I feel like I should give a shout out to Gail Green, who was mm, a legend yeah. at New York Magazine, food critic and lover of <laughs> sex and pleasure and had sex with, I think, Elvis, Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. Wow. I know all this because I love her memoir. <laughs> Even if the slumber number is only three, what a three. <laughs> <laughs> I when you said that, just because I'm a mother of two young kids, I thought that meant how many hours you get to sleep at night. <laughs> I, in which case, my slumber number would be low. In the other case, my slumber <laughs> number would beat probably everyone in this room. Gail Green's in I go back to all the time and she died this year and she was just a, a huge role model for me. And The History of Love by Nicole Krauss, I think, was one of the best books with a Jewish spirit that I ever, I want to say read, but I listened to it. It's an amazing audiobook, and that one's never left me. Josh, yeah. anything? Gosh, I think... In terms of a book, I'm so predictable. I don't think so. It's, thank you. You don't know me well enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> One that's always stuck with me is this poem. When I was in my teens, I led the youth Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services at the wow. synagogue. Well, there weren't Impressive. that many of them. Yeah, it was. <laughs> they knew I could kind of coast through it very yeah. glib. It wasn't in the Sidor. It was its own little Xerox packet that they'd Xerox like 20 years before and stapled together. <laughs> and there was a poem by Edna St. Vincent Malay, and it begins, oh world, I cannot hold thee close enough. And it's just about like being just so overwhelmed by the world that you could burst from just like leaves. Holy shit. No, that wasn't how it went. But I just think that's such a beautiful sentiment. And that's a thing that I really love when something captures it of just like, that's so abundant, like a kind of born to runness, to mm. use a, mm -hmm. a critical term. <laughs> because I have no education and I've played catch up on everything. I, at about the age of 45, decided to start reading. And I decided 
I had to start at the start and I read one big book a year in as many translations as I can at once, which would have started with Homer, the Iliad, then the Odyssey, then the Aeneid, very white, dead men, and then Dante, and then Paradise Lost, and all the way through. You made me think of one quote that I think about as an art critic a lot, which is the Old Testament God who had to be written out of the script. Problematic on set behavior. (laughs) (laughs) This one in the Old Testament says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and you shall not make unto thee any images or sculptures of me. Now, first of all, this tells you that Yahweh, in the middle of the desert, was very aware when he said, I'm a jealous God, that there are other gods. He was very aware of all the sun gods down in Egypt and in Mesopotamia and in Greece and over in Italy and pouring in from the spice roads. What was the last one you read? I am reading an author I'd never read who's unbelievable. I went back to the 19th century. Victor Hugo? Sure. (laughs) I never read those. They're too big. You know, Les Mis and then Hunchback of Notre Dame. All I can tell you is just at least listen to them. The man was a great author. Next questions. <laughs> I'd love for each of you to share maybe a funny story or a story that your family always tells about you. Just that I'm difficult and needy <laughs> and they love my sister more. Um, no, I had a funny story about a book reading that I was thinking about on my way here. It was a book reading in Philadelphia at a socialite's house, and it was like the super rich people of Philadelphia, which I thought would be an oxymoron, but it was really, (laughs) really fancy people in a beautiful home, and they were all heirs to this and that. No one was Jewish. And I did this very provocative chapter. It was like all about sex and drugs and big dicks and like the whole thing. (laughs) And I was dying the whole time. I was so nervous. It was so wrong, like wrong crowd, wrong Alyssa, the whole thing. The woman comes up to me. Her last name's Tylenol, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and so proper. And uh, she came over to me and she said, I have to tell you something. It, you did okay, but there was one thing that was really offensive and really wrong and really, really shameful. And I was like, what? And she said, your posture. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. It felt like she's about to like, write you a check yeah. to go yeah. to finishing school. <laughs> I know. Totally. I think I'll go next because mine's kind of a downer and it would be terrible to end the night that way. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a happy person, but I don't have family stories because when I was 10, I went to Sunday school one day and my brothers and I came back and I noticed a lot of old people in our living room and being very grave as I came in in full suits. And I asked my father, my two brothers were with me, and he said, how are you? How was Sunday school? Good. And he said, your mother has gone away. Mm. And I said, oh, where did she go? And he said, she's with the angels. To me, this was a baseball team that had just formed (laughs) in Los Angeles. And I said, when is she coming back? And he said, she's not. And that was November... 
1961. She was never spoken of again for the rest of my life mm. to this day. Now, you have to understand, this death did not happen for me. It was not the suicide that I much, much, much later learned, but I grew antenna the way kids do because everybody in our Jewish assimilating suburb treated me different. The friends stopped coming around. So the stories that I heard about me were to zero. I didn't exist, but they didn't exist. And in a way, this gave me freedom the freedom to invent my own story, the freedom to come to a place like New York where you came, you losers. <laughs> and when people say, what do you do? You say, I'm a writer. I'm a this. I'm a cook. I'm a that. And your fellow losers go, we love you. We embrace <laughs> you. This world is so full. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Beautiful. Gosh, anything uplifting to leave us with? Uh, no pressure. It wouldn't be so funny if I was like, I used to fart a lot when I was a kid and my dad always talks about it. Now, my wife always tells people that I'm not nice, which I think is very sweet. But this is the story that I, when I was younger, defined me to me in a way that I didn't know what I was like to other people. So I have one younger sister. She's three years younger, but only two grades behind. We went to high school together for two years and then college together for two years. I had my license much before her because she was so much younger. And so I drive her to dance class and we would listen to my music in the car and we'd talk about it and we got to be buddies in a way that we weren't when we were younger. But my parents were like big family dinner people. So unless we had some pressing school thing or extracurricular that kept us away, we always ate dinner at home. And by the time I graduated, my sister was 15, but she was a junior and she was right in prime parent-hating mode. Really? We would sit at the table and my parents would go, oh, Jenna, how was your day? And she would go, fine. And they would go, anything else? And she would go, no. And they would go, Josh, how was your day? And I'd be like, in math class, this out. <laughs> and I would just go on and on. And so I talked to my sister a couple weeks into me being in college. Brandeis, what up? Um, <laughs> and I go, how are things going? What's going on at home? And she goes, now that you're not around at the dinner table, mom and dad have a lot more questions for me. <laughs> and I was like, I do take up a lot of oxygen. <laughs> She That's, missed you, I think. I think so. I, she yeah. missed the cover I provided her, I think, more than anything. But we are very close. Well, this is the last question. Tell us where they can find their work, what's going on. So I am mostly with New York Magazine, and I write their Sex Diaries column, which runs every Sunday night. It was turned into a docu-series on HBO. It's called Sex Diaries. You will see me wearing my son and schlepping my daughter while talking to somebody about an orgy. That's what my Hebrew school pickup usually looks like. <laughs> and then, yeah, just follow me. I'm Alyssa Shalaski on Instagram. And let's be friends. I'm at Josh Gondelman on Instagram and Twitter and let's say TikTok aspirationally. Yeah. I have a stand-up special that you can watch. If you're a Prime member, you can definitely watch it for free called People Pleaser. I have a book that's available later. I have a newsletter weekly, goes on mm. Monday mornings called That's Marvelous. It's pep talks to people in the news, inanimate objects, and readers. And it's free, and it's just joshgondelman.substack.com. And then I have to say it here, I did a bunch of joke writing for the upcoming final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I know how to fucking pander. Um, <laughs> and over to Jerry. 
<laughs> you can find me on my idiot Instagram, <laughs> Jerry Saltz, and I hope you do. We can have a blast there. I read every damn comment. <laughs> you can find me in New York Magazine being critical of art. The thing I love most in this life, I've been on a book tour for a new book called Art is Life. I hope you'll buy it. What you'll need to read of me is a thing called How to Be an Artist. It's very short and DM me anytime. I love that you're all here. I love this yeah. event and I'm stunned that you brought all this together. <laughs> I, I can't top that. So thank you so much to everyone for being here. Jerry, Alyssa, and Josh, thank you so much. It really means the world to us. If you want to see some fun pics from that event, go to our Instagram, at Jewish Food Society. For family recipes and stories from around the world, head over to jewishfoodsociety.org. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Schmalti is produced by the Jewish Food Society in partnership with Pod People and made with love in NYC. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Special thanks to the team at Pod People. Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lesby, Robin Gelfenbein, and Carter Wogan. And a big thank you to Udi Ehrman and everyone at the JCC Manhattan who helped us put the whole live event together. I'm your host, Amanda Dell. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>